Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. No one can be properly loyal to a country who isn't prepared to abandon a political party because the party is not the agency of governmental representation. It is merely an informal association for those who are in the struggle for power, the contest for power. It does not command primary loyalty and should not command primary loyalty because to do so means to betray one's fundamental commitments to one's country. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Hi, I'm Paul Perot. Happy New Year. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I hope those words are familiar to you. And uh, not just because of the old schoolhouse rock videos that used to air during Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, those words are the preamble to the U.S. Constitution, the document that arranged a representative government and enumerated certain rights that people have. Now, every July 4th, we celebrate our nation's founding with the signing of the Declaration of Independence during our American Revolutionary War. The founders argued for a government that exists by the consent of its citizens. Many call this form of government a democracy, where people rule. Now, if you know your history, there was another famous revolution in France around the same time as our U.S. Constitution was being drafted, debated, and ratified. But what started out as a democratic movement became anything but. Why the difference? Then again, was the U.S. set up to be a true democracy? Or is our governmental form something else? Gabe, it's a much-debated topic that I hope you can help us understand better this week as we listen to one of the best conversations from this past spring's Culture Summit. It was ranked one of the top conversations of the entire event we most recently had with Dr. William Allen. He goes by W.B. Allen. He's a professor of political philosophy in the Department of Political Science at Michigan State University and previously served on the National Council for the Humanities and as chairman and member of the United States Commission on civil rights. He's done so many incredible things in his life, but we brought in an older political philosopher, somebody who truly is expert in understanding this American culture and the history of it, as well as what does it mean for us to think about this idea of a nation being a democracy or republic? You see, we hear those words a lot. We hear presidents and speeches and leaders in our country talk about this great democracy But then we read these historic documents that describe this as a republic. And which is it? And does it even matter? Is this just semantics? Well, we asked Dave Zanotti, president and CEO of American Policy Roundtable, 
to come and be a part of hosting this conversation. He's known Dr. Allen for decades, and it's been a relationship that's been so rewarding for him to better understand the way that our world has set itself up, to better understand the way in which our nation was founded, the ideas and the principles that are bedrock to this American experiment. And so he wanted to delve into that conversation. And I just know that you are going to be so encouraged. There's one thing that you listen to. Maybe you pull a friend together or you're thinking about, I need to do something to better understand the history of our nation and to think about that and ponder that and meditate on that a little bit. I think this would be the conversation that I could not recommend enough. So I'm going to encourage you, pull those you love close around, have a conversation of substance around this idea. It really does matter. Ideas matter. They shape things. Wrong ideas can take us down a negative path. The right ideas can lead to flourishing. And if we get this idea wrong, is this a democracy or a republic? And what is the difference? And if you make the wrong choice on what it is, how does that actually lead to the way in which our civil society functions? These are the questions that we will explore. So let's listen in now to a conversation with Dr. W.B. Allen. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Dr. William B. Allen, is, in my opinion, the eminent political philosopher in the Western world today. He doesn't like it when I speak that way. But based upon his writings, his teachings, his lecturing, and his life experience as a political philosopher, he's a person who I treasure every moment I spend with and every word that I get to hear. So it is my delight to bring as a gift to Gabe and to Rebecca and to all of you, my dear friend. And I have one question, and then I'm out. The question is, is America a republic or a democracy? We hear endlessly on the news that this person or that person, this issue or that issue, is a threat to our democracy. Is this just a debate in semantics, or is there a philosophical, truth-based issue here? Well, David, you, like uh, me, probably learned as a child to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. And those who are citizens of the United States are probably joining us in remembering that. But perhaps we don't remember that we pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. The flag, the symbol, the republic, the beneficiary of the pledge. But what is the republic? Well, the very notion is an idea. And it's not an organism, it's not an institution, it's not a particular structure, it's an idea. So, so that our Pledge of Allegiance puts us in a very awkward space because we are forced to ask ourselves, what do we mean when we say republic and how does that relate to the question of democracy? Let us begin where the founders began. Democracy is the worst form of government, Period. Because anything worse is not a government, it's just a pure despotism. But democracy is chaotic, it's unruly, it's unpredictable, it produces majority tyranny. So how does one escape the burden of democracy and preserve the blessings of liberty, with which, of course, our preamble to the Constitution closes? The blessings of liberty are available to us only when we restrain governmental power, which includes Majority power. And we do that by creating what we call representative democracy. So the word republic is really a synonym for the term representative democracy. That the people govern, yes. The people are sovereign, yes. 
but they do so through delegation of authority to agents to represent them so as to make the process far more reliable, far safer than it would otherwise be. But there's more to this than that. And, and this may come as a surprise to you and to many. But this idea of the republic is not just the idea of representation. It's the idea that somehow it is the authority of the people which is at bottom the foundation of the government. Not their direct rule, but their authority. And what does that authority consist in? It consists in a responsibility. The responsibility of self-government. So we have a dilemma, a paradox. Self-government doesn't mean majority rule. It means each and every one of us being subject to moral self-government, to self-restraint, to moderation. It means being accountable individually. And the purpose for the idea of the republic is to capture that personal accountability. And where does it come from? Ultimately, we derive it from what was identified at the founding as the freedom of conscience. And when James Madison defined that for us in 1785, he defined it very clearly as the obligation human beings owe to God, which is prior to any obligation to civil society. And so when we're talking about the republic, we're talking about the idea that we have obligations to God. First. First. And our civil relationships are all subordinated to that. And therefore, we have to work those out as well as we can, because the reality is we live under two governments, not one. We live under, call it a representative democracy or republic, if you will. That's one. But it's not the most important. The most important government we live under is the divine monarchy of God. And if we forget that, we will lose our way. We will become fixated on those governmental institutions with which we live and the political parties that seek to run them. And we'll forget we owe a superior obligation to God prior to any obligation we have to civil society. Madison spoke of the obligation of first defining oneself according to the reality of the existence of God, yes. which then permits a person to enter into civil society from a position of responsibility. But we live in a culture that says God is only optional if you want to be religious. But if you prefer to be a scientific materialist, that entire conversation is irrelevant. Quite, quite Where do we end up with in that debate? Well, of course, we end up with the same problem we've had ever since Christ appeared on earth. Uh, when I'm asked, what is my religion, I've decided I'm no longer going to say I'm a Christian or a Protestant or a Baptist or a Reformed Episcopalian or whatever else I've called myself through the years. <laughs> I'm just going to say I follow the way. And to me, that's a sufficient identification for what it means to follow Christ. It's the first of the terms Christ used to define it himself, the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm a follower of the way. And those who are followers of the way have accepted that responsibility, that individual responsibility. And they've also accepted something which I, I, I heard an echo of this when Gabe was speaking earlier, talking about parallel lives. The first parallel lives were the lives of the way. 
They were the ones who lived, not having government get their back, but government on their back. (laughs) They were the ones who had to build a separate existence alongside the secular existence. And of course, ultimately, to grow and thrive in spite of it. So it's, it's the way that defines that relationship that will allow us to survive the trend towards secularization. To have the resilience, to have the strength of conviction, to follow the way no matter what. That has always been from the beginning what we have been called to do. That is witness. Now, those who say we must save our democracy. Are they trying to say something more? Well, they're they're trying to say, as it seems to me, uh, perhaps the best way for me to express this is that they are invested in what is clearly uh, a partisan operation, i.e. identification with a political party, loyalty to a political party. And so they identify the democracy as, in effect, the, the party, And the outcome of the democracy is nothing other than whatever works to establish the party's power and authority. But the reality is no one can be properly loyal to a country who isn't prepared to abandon a political party. It just could you repeat that for us, please? (laughs) You know, I don't he he likes to do this to me. He he knows. (laughs) I said no one can be properly loyal to a country without being prepared to abandon a political party. Because the party is not the agency of governmental representation. It is merely an informal association for those who are in the struggle for power, the contest for power. It does not command primary loyalty and should not command primary loyalty because to do so means to betray one's fundamental commitments to one's country. Would it be safe to say that a person following the way would put principle... Over party? It would put principle over party, yes. But remember, following the way means understanding that our first obligation is to God. That's the obligation which we understand by conscience. And, and I won't go into a long conversation about this because it can become abstruse, but I want everyone to understand that when I identify conscience as the key moment in the development of our defense of liberty, I'm talking about the single thing that makes a country like the United States a Christian country. It is not because there are Christians in it that it is a Christian country. It's a Christian country because it was founded on the freedom of conscience, which is only to be derived from the Holy Spirit and has no other possible existence. If you think about it and ask what psychologist, what neurologist, what natural scientist can tell you what a conscience is, you'll be forced to tell yourself none because there is no foundation for this organ called conscience in our natural bodies. But it is a reality. It is a reality because the advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit was assigned to guide us and provides that conscience. The freedom of conscience is nothing other than the freedom to hear and follow the voice of God. And any country founded on the basis of the freedom of conscience will be therefore a Christian country even if there's not a single Christian in it. Because this obligation to follow the voice of God means 
that everyone gets to assert claim to the freedom of conscience, even when they don't believe. Oddly enough, even atheists who assert universally the freedom of conscience end up listening to God, though they do not recognize him or acknowledge him. Is there any instance in, in the cultures of government that you have studied, going as far back as you like, where a pure form of democracy worked to protect the right of conscience in the end? That question really has to be answered in historical terms by asking whether the United States has fulfilled its mission. And the answer to that is, the story hasn't ended. We've done well enough so far, and there's much better that could be done. But we will say at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what country survives. I, I won't, don't want to shock people, but I say this, but we are not going to be here forever. <laughs> no country's going to be here forever. No government's going to be here forever. And so we won't, don't want to pursue the, the vacuous and empty reliance upon ideologies and parties when we know the way will take us home. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, we have very little time, but, but I would say this. I want to go back for just a brief moment to why we don't want to follow uh, parties particularly and why we want to take ideas seriously. When Gabe mentioned Václav Havel this morning, I was reminded of a conversation I had in a group of people with Havel in 1992. And Havel had this to say, and I'll leave this with you as a closing word. This is Havel, in answer to a question. I won't repeat the question. I believe that if democratic institutions ought to be firm, and if the state has to have a frame and be able to vote, there must be something to hold things together. But I believe that ideology is the worst possible instrument of holding things together. I believe that this glue holding things together should be neither an ideology nor a utopia, because it's certainly easy to invent an ideology or utopia and have it accepted. But I believe we should follow a more complicated course and build on our own values and ideas. Havel went on. But I would say our own values and ideas are precisely those we have inherited from the emergence of Christianity as the primary force in the world. That quote sounds very much like a passage from the book of Colossians. Speaking of Jesus, he is before all things. Yes. And in him... All things hold together. Is he sufficient to hold together our form of civil government? Well, let me close by telling you a story that may give you the answer to that. A very brief story. I opened with pointing to the Pledge of Allegiance and saying we pledge allegiance to a symbol of the republic, of an idea. Um, the first time I had that told to me was by a mentor who was himself a former socialist who had become disenchanted and abandoned Marxism and become somewhat conservative. And he pointed out in a per perfectly secular account how this was greatly important and paradoxical. I only later learned that years before he arrived at that, Ronald Reagan, in an address at Fulton, Missouri, had made the argument about the idea of the republic as a godlike institution to which we in the, in the name of which we were formed 
It was Ronald Reagan who first said that. As early as 1952, in Fulton, Missouri, the same place where Winston Churchill, of course, proclaimed the advent of the Iron Curtain. So, so our history is shaped providentially. And it is filled with meaning that goes beyond even the best intentions of those who speak with a purely secular purpose in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Dr. Willie Mountain. Stay here for a minute. I want you to stay here for a minute. If you're not going to take the time, I will. All right. I've got another question for you. So as you're describing, let's step out here for a second. But I, I, I mean, wasn't this was amazing? Do this. Wasn't this amazing? Um, when people, I mean, you've done such a great Dave. Come up here. One, you've done such a great job of helping us, I think, see this difference between the republics, this great idea, but our commitment to America as something that has to stay or that it has our allegiance could get misplaced in our pursuit of following Jesus or following the way, correct? Yes. So what is our responsibility in this nation as a citizen, as Christians following the way, when we see the idea of the republic maybe slipping away or we see this really good idea moving into a place that it's being bastardized and turned into something different? Yes. Do we resist it? Do we just stand back and watch it happen? Uh, I believe the counsel of Christ is the only counsel we can reliably follow in this instance. And, and that is to say, we must be prepared to suffer every imposition in order to proclaim the truth. And to follow the way means to proclaim the truth. And if you can't proclaim the truth without resisting, then you will resist. But if you can proclaim the truth, that is first and most important. In everything that we do, we do not compromise the truth. And then on the freedom of conscience idea, I mean, so many people haven't heard that at the, at the depth. I know you guys were getting to discuss it and the, the value of conscience. Is, is the conscience something only a Christian possesses, possesses or would you suggest That's, any person through God's now, now you're, common you're, good? You're going to stretch the limits of people's patience because... <laughs> I tend to do that. You're, you're asking me... A, <laughs> You're asking about things that I work on uh, very intensively, and I'm at present writing uh, a commentary on an 18th century text in which I've explained something that hasn't been explained before in the world. And I call it kluotheism. And what do I mean by kluotheism? I'm uniting the Greek terms for to hear and God. Hearing God, kluotheism. I ask myself, why is it we talk about atheism and theism? Uh, what do the atheists bring to the table? Well, it turns out God is speaking to everyone. And the only really, question, really important question is, do you hear God? Now, those who can hear God, whether they're believers or non-believers, are kluotheists. And if you see an atheist proclaim that he or she has a conscience, he or she cares about people, well... That atheist is listening to God, even if not acknowledging it. Hmm. Wow. So, kluotheism yeah. is the key. Yeah. Everyone must hear God. Everyone does hear God. Those who follow the way know they hear God. Oh, 
that was truly amazing. Well, again, thank you for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lines, and we do hope you got a lot out of that talk from Dr. William B. Allen, a professor of political philosophy at Michigan State, who was part of this past spring's Culture Summit in Nashville, talking about the difference between a democracy and a republic. Gabe, it was so encouraging to hear that dialogue. I mean, W.B. Allen just brought so much substance, such, such depth. You can tell about a philosopher how deeply they think. It's always challenging the kind of questions they ask, the ways in which they approach it. I love the way he describes following the way of Jesus and how that becomes such a priority, and it must be the priority of the Christian's life. And if we're really following Jesus, then we're loyal to him first and foremost, not just to a nation. I think it challenges all of us and encourages us in a time and a season where politics has become so polarizing, when discussions around the history of this country have become alienating, when it's been difficult to find spaces to talk and dialogue about these very topics. You can have some great conversations with your family, with your friends, with your children around what is this nation? What does it mean? What does it represent? How am I supposed to be a good citizen, not only a citizen of this country, but more important, a citizen of the kingdom of God? Gabe, I'm so glad you said that. Talking not just about our U.S. citizenship, as important as that is, but also about our citizenship and our first allegiance to the kingdom of Christ. That citizenship has its rights and responsibilities, including our job to represent it well in this world and to work for its growth in our world, in our communities, and in all our spheres of influence. Again, that was just one of the many impactful conversations from this past spring's Culture Summit. And as we start out 2023, I hope that even now you're making plans to join Gabe and Rebecca and the rest of the Q team for this coming spring's Culture Summit, April 27th and 28th in Nashville. You'll not only hear talks like today where we encourage Christians to engage well in the political sphere, but also there'll be talks about engagement in education, in business, the arts, the social sector, and in science and technology. You can be there live, you can join virtually, maybe even host a gathering at your church. You can learn more right now at qideas.org 2023. Again, qideas.org 2023. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for spending the last 25 minutes with us here on Q Ideas with Gabe Lines. On behalf of Gabe, again, Happy New Year, and thanks for listening to Q Ideas this week. We hope you listen again next time. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.